Welcome to Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we focus on the craft of woodworking. Thank you, Hui. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Wen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening. And uh, Brian is still out. Hopefully, we'll have him back soon. We uh, yep. miss you, Brian. Yeah, we do. So this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And uh, we do have a Patreon account right now. We have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. And we'd like to thank our newest patrons, Scott Goldthwaite, a.k.a. Bobcat, <laughs> Mark Scott, and Dennis Bodron for their pledge. Thank you, and we're, we sincerely hope that you will find us uh, or give us your support. So stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shops. So let's get ready to take the first question. All right. So this question is from Arntz Construction. Um, uh, we don't have a first name for, for Arntz, but uh, I think his name was for... I think his name was Scott. Is it Scott Arntz? Scott, Scott or Mike. I can't okay. remember. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Well, Arnst Construction, thank you for uh, sending in your question. Hey, guys, I finally got caught up on all the podcasts and look forward to hearing the next one. I have a multiple part question here. I just got a commission on a 12-foot walnut bar and matching 8 to 10-foot table. My next purchase is going to be a jointer, and I was wondering if a 74 or 76-inch bed jointer will be long enough or if I should just cut with my track saw and build a shooting board and joint everything with a hand plane. Also, what would you use to dye and finish? Do you use pore filler to get a glass smooth fit surface or just let the finish take care of everything? All right, so multiple parts. So he's got, what we got here is a 12 foot long walnut bar and a matching eight to 10 foot table. With that 12 foot long bar, those are really long boards to deal with. And I've dealt with a 12 foot long conference table and I have been able to joint a 12 foot long board on my A331. Now, mind you, I had to use some support. Uh, what do you call them? Like the uh, support. Yeah. In feed and outfeed supports, yeah. uh, which Felder makes and, and I, I have, and they're pretty good. Oh, um, how, how big of a bed does that give you? Do you know? So that ends up giving me, oh gosh, it's it's either 76 inches, so close to what I used to have, if not longer. I think it actually is longer. I think okay. uh, I estimated that if I had a 10, so it's got to be longer, right? Because I estimated that if I had a 10 foot long board, I'd be able to barely, so about half of it would be on the supports and the bed itself. And, and I didn't have a problem with a 10 foot long board. A 12 foot long board was a little bit too long, but I had help doing it. Um, when I had my, and I think he's, I would suggest him looking at uh, the Grizzly parallelogram jointer. That's what I had previously. And that was a great jointer. And that has a 76 inch bed. Data. And yeah. and and I think that would be sufficient for this situation. Um, I would actually think hard about having like an entire twelve foot long piece for the walnut bar. 
what guy i have a question for you what's the limit that you guys will go to create like a, a conference table the length the limit of the length that you'll do, go before you start cutting it in half what usually limits us is being able to get it where it goes mm -hmm. we can get boards up to 16 feet long okay and we've made plenty of conference tables that were one piece that were 14 feet. Okay. Typically when we have to cut them in half, it's because we can't get it around corners. Okay. Okay. If that All right. makes sense. Okay. So, so for you, it's ingress and egress to get the piece yeah. in and out of where yeah. it has to go. Okay. 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 14, 14 feet is usually where the cutoff is. Okay. Anything longer than that, you're it's two pieces. Typically, yes. What do you use to join the two pieces? Uh, usually just dominoes. Okay. Just dr dr dry? Dry. Oh, no, wet. Oh, dry. Yeah. Okay. No, dry. And okay. we will assemble it on site and we'll usually use a uh, quarter inch iron plate that goes underneath it to okay. cinch them together and hold them together. Right on, right on. Okay, um, so because I, I, because I, we don't know what Arnt's construction, what their design looks like, but my guess is that if it, if that bar is going into an area that's sort of enclosed, in other words, like you've got a wall on one side and a wall on another side, and you got to fit this twelve foot piece in there, if it's like a twelve foot walnut countertop of sorts, my guess is that it's going to be really difficult to get it in there, and so. I remember it was probably about two years ago. I had a 12, 14 foot long bookcase area and they used like some type of spalted maple as a countertop. And that had to be cut in half because I just couldn't fit it between the walls. There's just no way. Yeah. So I had to cut it in half and assemble it into that enclosed area in order to get it into uh, as a countertop. So I, I guess Arnt's Construction, consider that. How are you going to get it in there? And that might be your limiting factor as to how long those boards can actually be. Maybe just something else to consider. Is there anything, uh, Guy, that you might want to add in terms of whether or not uh, a 76-inch uh, joiner bed would be long enough? Do you yeah, think it would? Yeah, I mean, I since I started working at Purposeful Design, I've, I've been involved in the building of many, many, many tabletops and pieces that were well over 10 feet long. Mm -hmm. And we're blessed with a 16 inch joiner. The bed on it is like, I, I want to say like eight feet. Okay. So however, a little longer than 76 inches. However, mm -hmm. boards that long, there's never going to be an ideal situation. Even mm -hmm. with a, a, a 16 inch joiner with 100 inch bed, uh -huh. it's still very difficult to push that board over one person. It, the, the thing with the joiner that everybody forgets, it's 99% technique. Sure. Um, yeah and reading the board before you put it in. The only thing I'd recommend, I mean, I, 
I think a 76 or 78, 74, you know, a couple inches does make a difference. I think that that bed length is plenty enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really think you have to concentrate on is first reading the board to determine if it's crooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to put it, you know, frowny face down. Yep. So the, the points of the board are on the bed. Another thing you can do too, mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, we were forced, we were only given so many boards that are, let's say, 14 feet long. We're trying to make a 12 foot top and you want to have extra on the end. So what, what I would do is I'd take, we had a really long track rail. Yes. That, that's, believe it or not, we have a 16 foot track um, and lay it down there, draw a line on it. And I'd throw it through the bandsaw. To, mm. If it had a real bad crook in it, to try to get as straight of a line as possible. Yeah. And then when you're pushing it through the 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 jointer, you're going to need an extra pair of hands on the back. To help feed it. Actually to help hold it up. So okay. what you want to do is after you push that board through, you want to get about 6 to 12 inches past the, the cutter heads. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that you put a lot of force down on the outfeed bed yeah. while you push it through. Right. And then the person in back kind of holds it up a little bit so the board doesn't wobble when it's yep. going through. Mm-hmm. It's It can be done, but it doesn't make any difference if you've got a, a, a 16-inch joiner with a 120-inch bed or an 8-inch joiner with a 78-inch bed. That board is 12 feet long. Yeah. Probably 13 feet long because you want to have extra, like I said, on the ends. Yeah. Two-person operation technique is everything. And here's here's the bottom line. It's never, ever, ever going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get it as close as you can. Mm-hmm. Take light passes. Get mm-hmm. it as close as you can. Use clamp pressure. That's the best. That's the best advice I can give you. Otherwise, you're going to be there for a week trying to get this perfect vanishing joint, and it's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. Um, totally agree. What are your thoughts on doing the track saw route? I mean, it sounds like he's open to getting maybe a long the enough. Tra- the track saw never leaves a, leaves a good enough finish. To, it's never a jointed edge. Jointed edge, yeah. That's okay, fair, 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 fair. Um, okay, so, uh, and then build a shoot. Wow, that would be a really long shoot. Yeah, I would never do it. Oh, yeah, and join I would never it. try to do this with hand planes. You could, but I just wouldn't. That's just not me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the only time I've actually used hand planes for any of the jointing operations is when I had like a twist to a board. And one corner was just so hot and it was a long board. So it was like, uh, in, in this case, it was actually for a dining table and it was just a really long board and it just had like a really high spot in the two corners. And I just hand planed those corners down. Okay. Uh, so uh, let's finish up this question here. Uh, dye and finish. Uh, I'd use trans tint dye. I, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I've always been happy with that. Yeah, and we've then talk, finish. talked about that before. Yeah, we've we've talked about that before. Um, finish. I mean, you could go oil based or water based. It's probably going to be 
Um, either or is probably going to be fine. I think uh, the water base is going to be a little faster to dry and, and cure as opposed to the oil base. And then I think uh, pore filler for glass. I don't. I don't use pore filler. I, I've used pore filler before, and mm-hmm. it's it's tough to use. It's not like a really easy process. You could do it. I've done it before on on many different projects. Um, you just have to make sure that you scrape it off as much as possible. Yeah, uh, and it is going to be water based, so, so that's going to kind of. Water based, yeah. I would say water based on the finish. As far what as is, dye goes, I, I I agree with you. Just a very very light trans tint dye with denatured alcohol and just to even out the colors. What uh, what's that pore filler? Uh, is it aqua? What is it called? Um, um, I can't remember. I can't. Um, remember. Anyway, well, uh, I'll think of it and I'll mention it later, but. Um, but yeah, hopefully, Arnt's construction, hopefully that helps you in, in some ways. But um, yeah, whether it's a 76-inch uh, joiner bed or, or, you know, longer, it's you're still going to need help. Yeah. So. yeah. All right, Guy, you're up next. All right. I have a question here from Andrew. It says, hey, guys, Alyssa's question from your last episode spurred a question of my own. Alyssa asked about homemade box joint jigs, and the consensus seemed to be that making your own box joint jig is more trouble than it's worth because of the precision required down to a few thousandths of an inch and because of wood movement. Absolutely. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on using 3D printers for jig construction. My only experience with 3D printers was about 15 years ago when wow. we got a a primitive 3D printer in middle school woodshop class. So I didn't really know the capabilities of, I really don't know the capabilities of 3D printers today. Do you think it would be beneficial or even possible to 3D print components to homemade jigs, anything from a miter bar to a complete jig? It seems like 3D printing would give you more precision and no movement Unlike wood. Well, there you have it. If it's possible, what jigs would lend themselves best to 3D printed? So that's a that's a really good question, Andrew. And I do have some experience with this. Um, the 3D printers today, even versus the 3D printers of three or four years ago, is worlds. I mean, just completely different animal. You can buy printers now for under $300 that will print a a filament called PLA, which is a very common type of PLA. It's very easy to print. And they they print wonderfully. Mm -hmm. The thing is, you have a a thing in here. It says um, more precision and no movement. Mm. Plastic, like wood, is hydro hydroscopic yeah. it will retain moisture then it doesn't move as much as wood does but it will move a little bit if you're printing with something like abs you have to be really careful because just the way it cools on the plate it it's hot on the bottom and can cool on top and it causes internal stresses and can cause it to bend and twist and do all kinds of crazy things I don't know if you could make something that big like a box joint jig on a 3D printer. First of all, you'd have to have a really big 3D printer. 
yeah. most of the 3D printers out there, the most standard size, they're about nine, uh, a bed that's about nine by nine inch, and you can get about 11 inches in the diagonal. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that being said, I've printed quite a few things from my shop with the 3D printer. Mm. And a couple of things that I've, I've printed that I found really, really useful is I've printed out a lot of drilling jigs sure. for, just to, to get a hole in the right spot and mm -hmm. to get it uh, perpendicular. Mm -hmm. So I just printed like a little block with a stop, just designed it real fast and SketchUp, printed it out, boom, done. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's very handy. I've printed out corner radius jigs for the router. Um, you buy those ones from woodpeckers. They're, you know, like 8000 or $8 million for three of them. Yeah. Um, and that's just the standard ones. You want the metric ones, then it's $16 million. <laughs> I'm not knocking woodpeckers. I, I have a lot of woodpecker stuff. It's really good, but it's very, very salty as far as price goes. Yeah. The 3D printed stuff is not going to be as accurate as that, but it's going to be good enough. And you sure. can print it out in a couple hours and be done with it. Um, just recently, I built some um, cabinets for my laundry room. And at work, you know, I've always used like a, this big jig or the LR32 system to do the, the hinge cups yeah. in the doors. But at work, we have that Craig jig that does the hinge cups. And yeah. that thing rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super easy to use, super fast. It's simple. And I said, well, I'm gonna, I've, I've got eight or four doors to do. I'm going to buy one of these jigs. And it was like 30 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I bet somebody's designed one of these. So I went on Thingiverse, mm -hmm. and somebody had designed. I mean, it's an exact copy of the Craig jig. Are you serious? Yep. Wow. Printed it out. It works just wonderful. And, and it's free on Thingiverse, right? And it's free on Thingiverse. I, I spent, I think, I calculated like a dollar sixty in filament to print it. A PLA or uh, I printed it in ABS. ABS. Oh, I you have really? Yes. Um, so, anyways, things like that are very handy. I, I recently gave one of my printers to Brian, uh -huh. no, our podcast Brian, for mm -hmm. his for his kids and stuff. And we were talking the other day about some of the stuff that can be printed. There's all kinds of stuff you can print for the shop. Um, organizational things like tool holders. Mm -hmm. One of the things I printed a bunch of one day was dogs for my MFT. Oh, nice. Okay. And they just, and, and, and those, yeah, they pop in. This is strong enough. Oh yeah. Plenty strong enough. Um, uh, things like vac hose fittings, couplers. Yep. Uh, all that stuff. It's very easy to print. And again, if you go on a website like Thingiverse or Printables or Maker World and or Yegi.com and just type in Festool, eight mm -hmm. million things pop up. Yes, yes. In fact, there's I've all actually, kinds of stuff. I've bought quite a bit of 3D printed Festool accessories, not from Festool, but things that fit onto Festool stuff like stops. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. The, there's, uh, there's stops. There's like, you know, a, something that's an accessory, like the little uh, thing that fits on the side of the track saw to yeah. help prevent the, 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 the tear out from getting caught. No, the, the, it's like a zero clearance thing that sits at the front of the saw, mm-hmm. like a little green thing that slides down to the top yes. of the plywood. You can mm-hmm. print those out and have as many as you damn well want. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've printed out inserts for the inside of, of sustainers to mm-hmm. organize them. I mean, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's just very handy to have for a shop. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jig wise, if they're small jigs, I, I, I think jig wise for the size of the bed that they, that they can are capable of printing. I think router uh, jigs are probably the easiest thing to print. Sure. They're not going to, again, they're not going to be super accurate like a woodpecker's thing, but then again, How if you be? need it, you can print it out, you know, before you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning, it'll be done. Yeah. And it'll be fine. It'll cost you a couple bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, there's, um, I can't remember his last name, Steve extreme woodworker, you know who? He yeah. Is? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he does uh, quite a bit of 3d printing and actually it was him that had designed these glue nozzles yeah. for dominoes. Yeah. And, and I had somebody, a friend of mine, print them out for me. And they're they're free. Well, you know, the, the STL files are there, free for anybody to use. And they're great. But the great thing is, is that it's so cheap to, to make that if I, you know, break one of them, no big deal. I just ask my friend or, you know, I could even, you know, pay somebody to make me another one for a couple bucks or something, you know, uh, you know, maybe a six pack of beers or something, you know. Yeah. So, um, but there's there's a lot you can do. With, with 3D printers in the shop and they're getting so reasonable now. And cause some of these newer ones are just so easy to use. You plug them in, you hit a couple buttons it automatically calibrates everything and they just work. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so. I, I wish I had one, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy I don't have one because it'd be another rabbit hole that I go down. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe eventually. All right. Next question to you, Hui. All right. So this question's from Daniel Held. He says, hello, guys. I found your podcast a couple months ago, and I'm hooked and really enjoy all the knowledge you share. I appreciate you guys taking your time to produce the podcast. My question is for my Rikon Benchtop Radial Drill Press, the model 30-140. I purchased this drill press a couple years ago, but I've rarely used it mostly because of time constraints. But when I do use it, I have an issue with the chuck run out. I've spent more time working on it than using it at this point. I checked the chuck spindle run out and it's approximately at one thousandth of an inch. And once the chuck is installed, the chuck has about 0.03, three thousandths to five thousandths run out. With a new fish drill bit installed the run out on the drill bit shank varies from five thousandths to seven thousandths of an inch run out uh, given the run out i have i can't get a decent hole when drilling anything i've followed the instructions closely and cleaned all the grease from the spindle and chuck and have reinstalled several times i've tried several techniques of tightening the bit in the chuck with uh which changed nothing 
is this a problem that is common and do you have a recommendation to fix it or can you recommend a better chuck i'm considering purchasing a grizzly keyless chuck or should i sell the drill press and purchase a different one that would meet the needs of woodworking better thank you for your advice and keep up the great job on the podcast daniel held fort collins colorado so i have the nova uh, Voyager, I can't remember what it is. I have a Nova drill press. And I actually look to see how much uh, runout I have in my chuck. And I have a couple thousands. I've got about two thousands of two, three thousandths of an inch runout. Um, but that's on the chuck. So what he's saying here is that the chuck spindle runout is about a thousandth of an inch. And then when he puts the chuck in, he's got about three to five thousandths of an inch runout. And then with the drill bit, it even gets greater. It gets greater, and that is to be expected. Yeah. By the way, um, so I don't know if necessarily getting a new chuck is going to really change it that much, uh, because no matter, I mean, every drill press I've had, I've had three drill presses. I've had a really cheap one, like one of these, like um, I can't remember. Uh, prior to my Harbor Freight one, but actually my Harbor Freight one didn't <laughs> have Harbor that. Freight. Uh, my Harbor Freight one really did not have that. It is about the same as the, uh, as the Nova, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I, I've, I've never had one that had absolutely no run out whatsoever. I've always had one with a little bit. So I, I think if you were to get a, another keyless Chuck, I'm not exactly sure if the Grizzly keyless Chuck is going to be better I think you didn't say you had a keyless chuck, did he? Uh, I think you may have to maybe invest in uh, significantly more on a keyless chuck to really get down to the Nat's booty of runout, like having a much significantly smaller amount of runout. What's been your experience? You, you still have your Steel City, but I, I still have my Steel City, but I had to I had to send it. I had to get another one because the the first one had so much runout. It was, you know, it was like 0.5 runout. It was Ooh. ridiculous. Um, that being said, I don't know what mine is right now, but the 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 0.005 to 0.007 runout. That's a little bit better than the thickness of a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, that's only one side, so it's two thicknesses of a yeah. sheet of paper. Um, it's really not that horrible. the The thing you have to remember with with drill presses is you have to seat the the chuck properly. You can't just push it in there and start hammering on it. You have to press it in with a board using the the quill. Yeah, yeah. So. Number one. Number two is most people do not, and I know it sounds horrible, but they don't tighten chucks properly. Mm-hmm. They put the key in one hole and tighten it down. Can't mm-hmm. do that. You have to mm-hmm. tighten all three holes. Yeah. Going around the chuck. Tighten yep. one snug, you spin it around, you tighten the next one snug. You right. spin it around, you tighten the next one snug. Right. You have to do all three of them for that thing to sit properly. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, that will cause 
a little bit more run out than normal, but it's still not going to be, you know, like it won't be ridiculous anyways. I have a keyless chuck on mine. I bought one. I think I spent like 40 or $50. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what brand it is, but it wasn't the cheap one, but it wasn't the more expensive one. You can get outrageously expensive. Yes. When you Mm -hmm. talk about machinist chucks, some of these chucks are running five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for just the chuck. Mm-hmm. I don't think that amount of precision is required for woodworking. If I, I had run out of a couple two to three thousandths of an inch, mm-hmm. I would actually be good with that. Um, I don't know if that's something to seek perfection on because yeah. it's going to be very hard to attain. Um, mm-hmm. That's just my two cents. So I was just looking because, you know, I, I buy a lot of stuff. I used to buy a lot of stuff from Grizzly. So uh, the keyless drill chuck here with uh, that Grizzly has, it's a H8260. Um, it's like $86. Wow. Uh, so that but everything's seems maybe- more expensive now. I'm, I'm talking, you know, pre-pandemic, pre-everything numbers. So I bought my chuck. Maybe it was like. 2012 mm-hmm. so 10 11 years ago <laughs> mm-hmm. so 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 you have a keyless chuck uh-huh. so is that so that doesn't use the little thing with the uh how do you tighten it you just tighten it by it's hand. got a ring on top and you just grab the the body and you twist it and that's tight enough really yeah huh okay all right and you like that better than using the, the key? oh yeah oh yeah okay okay Huh, that's interesting. I, I've never had a keyless chuck. I've always had um, keyed chucks. So yeah, I'm be, always I was always losing the key. I have a magnet. Yeah, I had a magnet too. You it, still it, does, it doesn't help if you don't put it back. <laughs> true, <laughs> true, true. Um, so so yeah, I think I think the answer for Daniel is like you're unless you're willing to spend an exuberant amount of money for a keyless chuck, you're 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 gonna have a certain level, of, and, and even even at that, it doesn't necessarily re- uh, guarantee that you won't have any run out. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the 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 bit's gonna cause a little bit, but like I said, you know, a couple couple three thousands is not that bad of a thing. Yeah. And yeah. woodworking doesn't require that amount of precision. It, it really is has to be really 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 tight tolerances when you're when you're milling uh, metal. Do you think it would be worth him looking into just getting a different keyless chuck and see if that helped helps a little bit? Yeah, I would. I'd probably recommend going to like a Woodcraft or Rockler to see if they have one. Okay, that way you can you return it again. This is horrible. You can buy it and then you can return it. No, that's not horrible. Buy buy something with free returns on Amazon, but Amazon doesn't have free returns anymore. You you can't. Remember, I'm going to go on a rant now. So okay. remember how Amazon used to be able to like do a return and just drop it in your mailbox? Yeah. You can't do that anymore. You have to take it to Staples or Kohl's. Huh. Otherwise, 
you have to go to like the UPS store or something like that and they charge you a dollar. Even oh, they, they do now? Even if they screw it up, they charge you. Oh, oh, it's only free if you take it to Staples or Kohl's, for me anyways. It's like, really? Huh, that's weird. Okay. Right. Well, I guess that we hadn't returned anything in a little while, but yeah, I just found that, that I just found that out today and asked my wife. She goes, "Oh yeah," but she goes to Kohl's all the time, so doesn't. Wait a minute, me. are you a are you a Prime member, Amazon Prime yep. member? You yep. are. Yep. Really? Yep. Are you serious? Uh, anyway, okay, okay. Oh, by the way, so Wood River, so Woodcraft Supplies, uh, Wood River Keyless Chuck is like sixty five bucks. That's what so, I have. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. That's what I have, and it was okay. it's fine. Well, it's fine. Looks like I might be getting a woodworking. Yeah. Right, it's just, it's just a, a, a thought, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, interesting. All right, next to you. All right, so this next question comes from Ethan Thompson, and he says, "Hello, gentlemen. I have a crazy question for you. I'm about to build a vanity for my bathroom out of poplar. I'm leaning towards staining the vanity." but I don't know what to put on the vanity to protect it from moisture. Do you guys have any suggestions? If so, it would be very helpful. It says, P.S. I'm always looking forward to listening to the show and keep up the amazing advice. Thank you, Ethan Thompson. So, Ethan, I want to give you a big piece of advice here. If you're <laughs> going to make it out of poplar, do not stain it. I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a bad idea. Poplar does not take stain very well. Yeah. And poplar is fine to build uh, a vanity out of if you're mm -hmm. going to paint it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stain very well. Yeah. Um, if you want to build it out of hardwood and want to stain it, I might recommend soft maple. It's mm -hmm. very inexpensive. It's not the price that poplar is, but it's very inexpensive. You mm -hmm. can get um, maple plywood, and the only thing you'd have to really make out of maple would be the doors and the frames, the yep. face frames. Yep, yep, yep. Other than that, you could make the rest of it out of I, – I, myself, I would probably use like a – uh, a UV one where it's UV coated on one side for mm -hmm. the inside and then stain the outside. Yep. Um, anyways, that would be my, my advice. And as far as protecting it, just about any finish would be fine. It's not like it's getting water directly on it. Right. It's just right. moisture. So I'm going to go with my old standby, which is water-based conversion varnish. If you don't have a sprayer, I, I'd probably go with uh, just regular water-based poly. Sure, um, sure, sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. I, I, I just Poplar just does not take stain very well. It, no. it, there's so much of that rainbow color, like so many different yeah. colors in Poplar that you're just not going to get consistency. Actually, Sean, who used to be on this podcast, if I remember Sean from uh, Simple Cove, mm -hmm. he did a video on mm -hmm. his YouTube about staining poplar. He did a great job. And he did a really good job. You might want to uh, take a look at that, Ethan. Again, Sean, or look for Simple Cove on YouTube, and he did a thing on staining poplar. Yeah. 
Yeah. He he made it look beautiful. He yeah, did. He did a really good job. Yeah. He did a great job. Um, but uh, I've but never I've, had luck. <laughs> I've never had luck. I I I like your soft maple. Um, uh, using soft maple, and you can get maple plywood. Um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 if it were poplar, uh, I I I'd paint it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's poplar. nothing wrong with with painted stuff. No, not at all, not at all. But but yeah, to- totally agree with you on that too about the about the the finish on the vanity. It's not gonna you're it's not gonna be like you're getting a lot of water on it. So it might get a couple drops here and there. Sure, sure. And I think water based poly will be even if you wanted to use an oil based poly, it'd be fine too. Uh, not an issue. Yeah, the thing with water based poly, you have to remember it. So don't freak out if you do get water on it, and you get these white spots. Yeah. Yep. They will go away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They 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 appear and then they go away. Yeah. So right. that's that's very common. But it's uh, I I I would just go with a water based yeah. finish and I think you'd be fine. I've I've freaked out before about getting water on water based poly and that's like, yeah you get that discoloration and you're like what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. Give give it give it a couple days. It yeah. goes away. It goes away. Yeah. So that was a quick answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's much more to discuss on that. So, well, my next question is kind of interesting. It's actually about fencing. So, th- not fencing like uh, you know with the foil. It's anyway. Um, this is from Mike Matt Miller. Excuse me, not Mike, but Matt Miller. Uh, hey, fellas, a buddy of mine asked me to replace some bad fence slats on his driveway gate. The boards are half inch tongue and groove. And look a lot like pine to me. I have a couple of questions. First, do you think it's safe to use pine to get the best match with the existing boards? Or should I just go with redwood and hope that it blends in when the entire fence is restained? This gate is in Los Angeles, so we don't get much moisture. My second question is regarding the design of the tongue and groove. They have a very sharp V profile and don't look like anything I've seen before in the big box stores and he attached a photo there have you guys seen this type of profile on a board before where would you recommend i try to source these replacement boards from and do you have any recommendation for how i might go about milling up my own stock if i cannot find a match here in town thanks for all your advice matt so the first question is it looks like pine to him they're half inch tongue and groove and would it be better to just use the pine that he believes it is or using redwood and hope that when it's restained that it will match close enough? I think if you're just replacing a few boards, my opinion would be to use the wood that was used originally because when you stain it, it will look the closest to what it was as opposed to redwood because the redwood's going to absorb the stain and on top of that, redwood has a totally different base tone, base color than pine will, right? So if you believe it's pine, I would definitely absolutely stick with the pine and then um, just find out what that original stain was. What are your thoughts on that guy? Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. I, th- I think um, I'd prefer redwood for outdoors. Mm-hmm. The chances of that being pine, I, I don't know. I'm not an outdoor furniture guy. Um, 
especially in Southern California. Um, but I, I would almost wager that it's not pine. And it's probably more of like a, a redwood or maybe even alder. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I, I, I don't think I don't and, think it's pine. I, I was looking at his pictures and those they don't look like pine boards. Yeah, to me. unfortunately, I can't blow up the pictures and they're like an inch big. I can't see them. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I, I would do that. But you know, here's the easiest way to do it: get figure out what stain they're going to be using. Mm-hmm. Get a yep. piece of pine, get a piece of redwood, get a piece of alder, sand them, put some finish on it, and see which matches the closest. And then just use that. Okay. So then the next qu- part of the question, he says, I've never seen this style of profile before. And uh, it's uh, it, obviously you, you listeners cannot see what this is, but um, I believe it's called a bird's peak is that right bird's I, peak i don't know i can't see it either it's, it, it, it's it, a v groove it's a it, it, like you see. it's a little tiny thumbnail and i can't blow this thing up for some reason it's, can um, you not uh increase the uh on top there to zoom in okay let me see if i can get it i don't know what that's called that's just weird yeah i've all I can think of is like a bird's mouth router bit is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 It's just a, it's just a V groove. Yeah. It's um, a very sharp one. Yeah. It's just, it's just a V groove. I'm sure there's, there's router bits out there that do it. Um, I, have, I just haven't seen one. I think it's a. I think it looks like to me like a sixty degree V V groove, and you can buy you can buy that router bit. Okay, it's, it's, and the boards yeah. are just stood up on end. I think so. I really through. do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So so uh, I would go with a go with a white side or one of the rep, reputable band. You don't have to get a white side, but some, you know a reputable router bit. Uh, you know, brand for router. If, if you don't want it to be throwaway, get a white yeah. side. Yeah, get a white side or Freud, um, you know, one of those bits, and I think you'll be fine. But yeah, it looks like... It doesn't like, say white side on it. Don't it's buy no good. it. Is that all you get, are white side bits? It's all I buy now. Really? Okay. Yep. I won't buy, I won't spend my money on something if it's not white side. The only time I've I've had to do something outside of white side is when I want a specific profile for a door. Mm. I've bought a couple Freud. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Fair, but... Fair. Uh, Everything else is it's everything is white side. Well, there you go. Little 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 snobbery there. Only white side bits touch my routers. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it looks like a sixty degree uh, V profile on there, and I think if you got a sixty degree bit, you'd be fine. Um, I don't think you're gonna. That looks like custom to me. That I've never seen that for a fence, like that type of uh, groove for uh, fencing. So. Uh, must be you know some type of custom you know fencing thing that they did, which makes me think that it's probably not pine, because I don't think they they I don't think whoever installed this probably just went to like you know a big box store or even a lumber yard to get you know fence fence yeah, uh, I, I I don't know I I but I just really question pine. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's pine. So, so. 
I know, I said, I know sometimes they use uh, Alder down south, yeah. but I don't know about Los Angeles. A, a lot of the fences in my neighborhood are um, made of, of cedar. And then cedar. Stained. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, so... And it might be cedar. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Matt, hopefully that helps. Uh, Guy, we're off to you with the last question. All right. And this comes from Scott Bobcat Goldthwaite. He's probably heard that before and he's getting, yeah, he's, right. he's listening to this podcast going, oh, guy, such an a hole. <laughs> um, anyways, I have a lot of, I, 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 actually, it's a term of endearment. I love Bobcat Goldthwaite. Anyway. Yeah, man. Oh, so, Police Academy. After hearing Guy mention target coatings and MTech finishes, I signed up for their email. They had a nice year-end sale. I ended up ordering their MTech spray kit, which is the Fuji LX20 and some accessories. Nice. I just I, I got their flyer too. It was 30% off. So I bought some finish. Um I'm now into spray finishing. I'm lucky enough to have a large 80-gallon, five-horsepower compressor, so I have plenty of air, it sounds like it. I'd like to know Guy's procedure for spraying small shellac projects. I've heard him mention that he just whips out a spray gun, and it's a quick process. Do you lay down drop cloths? Do you do anything for ventilation? I know with solvent and oil finishes, you're supposed to, but I'm wondering if you bother if it's a small project. Do you have a fan set up to blow over spray away? I will, of course, wear an organic filter respirator for any spray finishing I do, whether water-based or not. I haven't purchased a respirator respirator yet. Any recommendations? So let's talk about the respirator. Um, I would just go with the 3M respirator that you can buy the different types of um, filters for, whether it's organic, compounds or particulate uh you just change the the filters on them they're very common i can't remember the model number but the cartridges of all flavors can be bought at home depot or lowe's so it's it's a very um easy to find prevalent item um As far as setting up spray booths, so I just sprayed, I was talking about my cabinets before that I just sprayed mm-hmm. and I, I stained them and I sprayed them. I got two coats of finish on them and my wife says, I don't like the color. Ooh. Yeah. So I, I they're being painted now. So I bought some, they were, clear conversion varnish. Now it's pigmented conversion varnish. Uh, I'm waiting for that stuff. Actually should be here tomorrow from MTech. Anyway, they're actually shipping right now. It's so cold. uh, It's only like 50 degrees here, 40 to 50 degrees. So I'm so okay. okay. It won't freeze. Um, Anyways. um, Yeah. The only thing I do, I used to do the whole thing where I'd lay down all kinds of drop cloths all over the shop on the floor. And I'd have all this cross ventilation going on and fans and everything. Nah, I don't bother with any of that anymore. I put a, a, a tarp. I've got a canvas tarp that I hang on the rail for my garage door. And I kind of like cordon off one side of the shop Mm -hmm. 
the amount of overspray I get that goes up into the air, I clean mm-hmm. with the air scrubber. Um, after I get done spraying, I will open the door to let some of it out, but I don't mm-hmm. do any cross ventilation. That stuff does settle, but it settles as dust. Yep. You just yep. dust it off and you're mm-hmm. fine. I've covered some of my, th- like I have a bunch of 3D printers in my shop. So mm-hmm. I cover those with a piece of plastic. Other than that, I don't do anything. Yep. I just go ahead and spray. When I'm doing shellac, it's even, I don't even bother with the the um, the drop cloth. I just well, put it. I just put it on some sawhorses. Put a okay. board on it. Put it on there. Throw some shellac in there. I'm spraying at such a low volume mm-hmm. um, that I don't get a lot of blowback. I'm just. <laughs> for like boxes and stuff like that. I mean, it's, I'm using the spray gun for maybe 15 seconds. If that. Sure, sure, sure. So, so so the last time I sprayed, it was a double dresser that was painted. And I, I do a very similar setup. I do cover my bandsaw and I do cover my table saw. Not because I'm worried about, getting the paint on there. It's just, I don't want to have to clean it off afterwards. Yeah. And so, and so I just put it over the table saw and the bandsaw because those are the two cl- tools that are closest to, to. I'll, I'll agree with there. If I'm using pigmented stuff, I mm-hmm. do cover up the tools just okay. because it looks bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. But even when it settles, it still settles as this like white dust. It's dust. Cause it was a white paint. Yeah, yeah. It's just really dust and it, it comes right off. Um, it, Unless you're like right on top of the tool and you're spraying it like right on top, and yeah. That there's really no risk of that. So let me ask you about when you when we when you're spraying shellac. You don't even have a drop cloth on the floor. No, really. Yeah, I don't. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I've got all kinds Fair. of paint marks, and you know the 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 house was built in the '80s, so sure. it's it's 40 years old. It's, it's a nice house. Don't get me wrong. It's a very nice house. But the garage floor has seen better days. It's cracked. It's uneven. There's oil stains on it. It's it's not like an epoxy-coated floor. So right. I, I get stain on it. I just wipe it up with a rag, I, and I don't freak out. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. I just well, don't care. Truthfully, Guy... I have an epoxy floor and I still have, I still get stuff on it all the time. I really don't care. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. I do put a drop cloth down. I don't. Uh, but again, <laughs> the last time I sprayed, I, I sprayed something that was pigmented. So I was like, yeah, I really don't want to have the whole area like yeah. white or whatever. If yeah. I screw up. Well, I said, I, I, I used to cover everything. I don't cover hardly anything anymore. I just put that, that thing up. And when I get done spraying, I, I spray. And then when I get done, I crack the garage door a little bit, open up the, the man door for about five minutes, close it up, and all the, the haze goes away. Yeah. And I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, yeah. that's, uh, that's some good information about the shellac. I, I think when I spray shellac for this, uh, for this China cabinet, I'm, I still think I'm going to put down a drop cloth. And as far as the respirator goes, it really depends on how long I'm out there for. Mm-hmm. I might not even use a respirator mm-hmm. if I'm just doing a very small thing with shellac. The The guy that does our furniture at work, Jim, he's, he's older than I am, 
Mm-hmm. So he's, I think he's probably in his early 60s. He's, I'm 60, so he's maybe like 62, 63. Mm-hmm. And he's been finishing for 30-some, 40-some years. He doesn't wear a respirator at all. Never has. <sighs> <laughs> Now I that's how his lungs look. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He seems fine. Yeah. Seems Wait a minute. Fine. When he sprays, does he have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth? No, too, or no, no, he doesn't have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Okay. I don't know okay. if he's ever smoked, but um, yeah. yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't wear anything, and it's just, it's just like man, it's, and it's so stinky back there. He's he's shooting not what he's not using water based stuff. He's using lacquers, high build lacquers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he always is is he always happy and kind of in a daze? <laughs> he's always in a daze. I don't know if he's always happy, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good question, though. I mean, a lot of people can really go overboard, and I think there's a, a there's a difference between too much and not enough. Sure, I'm more concerned. I do wear a respirator. I am concerned about my lungs, but the the Anything that goes up into the air dries very quickly and it just settles as dust and it can just be wiped up. So I don't freak out about that as much as I used to. Have you seen some of these respirators? You know, we're talking about going overboard. Have you seen some of these like full face, like covering the head respirator? And it's got like this pump on it and this fan and the filter by the weight. I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, I remember during COVID, I remember people driving in cars by themselves with masks on and face shields. It's like, really, dude? (laughs) So anyway, anyways, um, that's going to do it for the questions. What do you got going on in the shop, Wee? Man, I did some cold molding on the table saw Is that the between first time? Christmas and uh, New Year's. Have you ever yeah. done that before? I've never done it before, but it was really kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it. kind of freaky at first. When yeah. you do it, it's like you're, you're really careful. You think it's, and then by the time you're running through a bunch, it's like, hey, just run it through. It's Yeah. Yeah. So when I first started, uh, you know, I did a test piece first and I used just like my, my combination blade or my general purpose, but whatever it is, it's a, you know, the forest woodworker two equivalent. Um, and you know, it was a little bit rough, you know, like you get the, the saw marks and whatnot. And so then I actually took my melamine blade, uh, my veneer blade, which is like a hundred tooth. And I was like, well, let me see if I, if I increase the tooth count, let me see if I get a little smoother. It was significantly uh, better. Like it had less ridges. Yeah. Um, I've so roughed it out with, I've done it a couple, three times and I'll rough it out with the, the combo blade. Mm-hmm. Or I should say the, the general purpose blade and then go back with the, with the miter saw blade. Got, yeah. Teeth that's got yeah. on and do a really light pass because sanding that stuff sucks. Yeah. Getting rid of all the, Saw marks. Saw marks. It's, yeah, I used it's a I used a card scraper, uh, the curved card card scraper, yeah. and then I went over it with uh, with one eighty, and, and it came out pretty good. So I'm almost uh, I've got to do the uh, the you know the ninety degree well two forty five degree cuts on the ends, um, and then you know just mount it to the uh, trying uh, the triangular blocks for the crown molding that I got, and then I should be done with it. So. Yeah. 
Cool. Anyway, how about you? What do you got going on? Nothing. 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 Mm-hmm. I got. I, I'm getting ready to um, put some pigmented water-based conversion <laughs> varnish on the cabinets. I've already finished. After after the clear coat and the wood was like, man, eh, I don't really like that. She goes, yeah, I don't really like that. I'm like, okay, what do you want? And what uh, color is it going to be? I don't know. It's some Sharon Williams color. It's some type of dark green. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I just don't care. I just whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you're not supposed to care. You're, you know, yeah. You deliver. Yeah, I just I just build it. I just don't care. Yeah. So I awesome. think that's going to do it for the show. And we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in search rankings. And, of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. So please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. And if you have questions you'd like answered, you can send it through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And I can be found on YouTube at Guy's Shop and most other social media at Guy's Woodshop. And where can you be found at, Wee? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links are on my for my socials or on my website. So right. thank you. Real good. And uh, hopefully next time we'll have Brian on here. We got to yes. figure out it's it, what, what's happening, guys. Is it's the the day is just not working out for him with his family stuff. So we got to find something that works for all three of us. So hopefully yeah, we can yeah. figure something out. How many kids is Brian? Have? Uh, fourteen. Fourteen kids. See, that's yeah, yeah. I, I'm 14. catching up. 14. I'm catching up. Yeah. <laughs> He's got two. He's got a boy and a girl. So. He only has no. He's got more than that. No, two. Two? Two. Okay. Got a boy and a girl. Never mind. All right. Anyway. So, very good. And we will uh, talk to you later. All right, man. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye.